Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Good morning, beloved family. How are you? I'm terrific, and I'm happy to be with you. No encore today. We are live. I'm thrilled when we can be live, which is most of the time, but we run encores too often, so I apologize for that. Um, I do pray you're well, and we're going to pick up, dear ones, where we left off on the Catechism Explained, the Catechism of the Catholic Church, which I recommend to everybody. It's um, a tremendous explanation of the Catechism. It's almost like the Baltimore Catechism taught in full. It's the Catechism of Trent, which was the last doctrinal council the Church had. Vatican II uh, is a pastoral council, and no doctrine could be changed, but, um, and, and was not changed. Um, and uh, the Council of Trent uh, followed the Reformation and made clear what the Catholic Church uh, believes. And so um, this is the Catholic uh, faith explained, Reverend Sparago, and it's absolutely wonderful. And we left off with Holy Scripture, Section 4, Holy Scripture and Tradition. And... Um, <clears throat> Just to review a little bit, and I won't go through the whole thing, Holy Scripture, or the Bible, same thing, consists of 72 books which were written by men, inspired by God, and under the guidance and influence of the Holy Spirit. These 72 books are recognized by the Church as the Word of God. The Holy Spirit inspired in a very special way. The writers of Holy Scripture... He moved them to write and guided and enlightened them while they were writing. The Council of Trent, and you could look it up, 2 Timothy 3.16, Matthew 15.3, Mark 12.36. The Council of Trent and the Vatican Council, which is Vatican Council 1, have expressly declared that God is the author of Holy Scripture. St. Augustine says, it is as if the Gospels were written down with Christ's own hand. The writers of Holy Scripture, says St. Lawrence Justinian, were like a musical instrument on which the Holy Spirit played. And yet they were not mere passive instruments. Each writer brings his own personal character with him into what he writes. They are like a number of painters who all paint a building which they see in the clear daylight quite correctly, but yet with a great many points of difference according to their respective talent and skill. Hence it follows that there are no errors in Scripture. We must not look to the individual words, but to the general sense We must not take offense at popular expressions which are not scientifically correct, as when the motion of the sun, sunrise, and sunset are alluded to. Moreover, we know that the sun doesn't rise and set. We know that the earth revolves. But to us, wherever we are on earth, it appears as if the sun is rising and setting. We know that. Um, Science does not inform us. The scriptures 
creation informs science. Mm -hmm. These are my comments. Okay, I'll continue with the article. Moreover, since the Bible contains the word of God, is the word of God, we must treat it with reverence. Thus, the people always stand up when the gospel's being read at Mass. Oaths are taken on the book of the gospels. In Mass, the deacon approaches the book of the gospels with incense and lights. The Council of Trent imposes special penalties on those who mock at Holy Scripture. The Jewish people had the greatest reverence for the scriptures and the precepts therein contained. The 72 books of Holy Scripture are divided into 45 books of the Old Testament and 27 of the New. They are moreover divided into doctrinal, historical, and prophetical books. Um, If your Bible has 66 books, it's because you have a Protestant Bible that uh, this is, these are my comments now, that uh, the Catholic Bible was protested by the Protestant uh, Martin Luther, who single-handedly, after 1,500 years, took out seven-plus books from the canon of Holy Scripture, all by himself. And he would have taken out more, um, but but the, his own followers stopped him. He called the book of James a, an epistle of straw because James says, faith without works is dead. <clears throat> and he added to Paul's words that we're saved by faith, he said alone. No, we're not saved by faith alone. We're saved by faith and works, or as Paul wrote to the Galatians chapter 5, faith working through love. <clears throat> I'm going to skip a little bit here and go on to number two. The truths of divine revelation, which have not been written down in the pages of Holy Scripture, but have been transmitted by word of mouth, are called tradition, capital T. The apostles received from our Lord the command to preach, not to write. Their writings are concerned more with the doings than with the teaching of Christ, hence their instructions on points of doctrine. <clears throat> their inst- instructions on points of doctrines are very incomplete. They themselves say that there is much that they have delivered to the faithful by word of mouth. Second John twelve, First Corinthians eleven two, John twenty one twenty five. Accordingly, we are referred to tradition, capital T, not the tradition of men, dear ones, but the tradition of God. It is by tradition that we know that our Lord instituted seven sacraments. It is by by tradition that we are taught that there is a purgatory, that Sunday is to be kept holy, and that infants are to be baptized. It is tradition which teaches us what books belong to Holy Scripture, etc. Tradition comes down to us from the time of the apostles, just as those who follow up the course of a stream gradually draw near to the fountainhead and thus discover how far the water flows so we can search out the historical sources of the teaching of the earlier centuries of the church and arrive at her true doctrine. Every doctrine that has always been believed in by the universal church comes down to us from the apostles. And I will interject here that revelation ceased with the last apostle. There's no new revelation. There is what 
uh, John Henry Cardinal Newman called the development of doctrine. As children, we understand certain things, but as we grow older, we understand how that knowledge develops into uh, an expanded knowledge and application. Same thing with the church. If therefore there is any doctrine of the church that we do not find in Holy Scripture, we shall find it in the stream of tradition and shall be able to trace it up to the first ages of Christianity. The chief sources of tradition are the writings of the fathers, not, not the Reformation fathers, not Lutherans, Wingley, and Calvin, but um, those church fathers that were discipled by the apostles, Polycarp and Justinian and Ignatius. Uh, I can't think of them right now. But first century apostles, first century um, uh, students of the apostles. The chief sources of tradition are the writings of the fathers, the church fathers, the decrees of the councils, and the creeds and prayers of the church. The fathers of the church were those who were distinguished in the early ages of the church by their great learning and holiness. And that's why um, St. Uh, John, or Venerable John uh, Henry Cardinal Newman said to dig deep into history is to cease being Protestant. Hold on just a moment. Okay, I turned it off now. My apologies. The fathers of the church were those who were distinguished in the early ages of the church by their great learning and holiness, such as St. Justin, the philosopher and zealous defender of the Christian religion. He lived in A.D. 166. St. Irenaeus, um, bishop of Lyon, uh, he lived in A.D. 202. St. Cyprian, Bishop of Carthage, etc. Many of these were disciples of the apostles and are termed apostolic fathers as St. Ignatius, Bishop of Antioch, who lived in uh, A.D. 107. The doctors of the church were those who in later times were distinguished for their learned writings and their sanctity. There are four great Greek doctors, Saints Athanasius, Basil, Gregory, and John Chrysostom. And for Latin, Saints Ambrose, Augustine, Jerome, and Pope Gregory, called Gregory the Great. <clears throat> In the Middle Ages, there were four other great doctors of the church, Saint Anselm, Archbishop of Canterbury, uh, Canterbury Saint Bernard, Abbot of Clairvaux, St. Thomas Aquinas, and St. Bonaventure. Among the most distinguished doctors of later times were St. Francis de Sales, Bishop of Geneva, and St. Alphonsus Liguori. We shall speak hereafter of the decrees of councils and of creeds as the sources of tradition. The prayers of the church are to be found, hold on now, primarily in the Missal, but also in other books used in the administration of the sacraments and other rites of the church, R-I-T-E-S. Thus we find in the Missal prayers for the dead, whence it follows that the church teaches their efficacy. There's the music for our first break, beloved. Feel free to call in with anything on your heart, toll free, one 511 
5483. Hello, beloved. This is Mother Miriam. How would you like to wake up each morning to inspiring sermons from knowledgeable and faith-filled priests? You can tune in to Sermons for Everyday Living every day at 6 a.m. Eastern on the Station of the Cross. You can listen on thestationofthecross.com or anytime on the free iCatholic Radio mobile app. God bless you. Keep up to date with the shows we bring you each day on the Station of the Cross by viewing our programming grid on our website, thestationofthecross.com, and on our iCatholic Radio app. Just click the menu icon in the top left portion of our app and select the link to our programming grid. That's at thestationofthecross.com and on our free iCatholic Radio app for Android and Apple mobile devices. I'm Jim Havens, host of The Simple Truth, heard weekdays at 4 p.m. Eastern on the Station of the Cross Catholic Media Network. It raises the question, I think, for a convert like me or for a cradle Catholic is, why are we seeing the human leadership of the Catholic Church steer the Church in a direction that doesn't seem consistent with Catholicism of the last 1,900 years? That's The Simple Truth, weekdays at 4 p.m. Eastern on the Station of the Cross. This is Jesuit Father Robert McTagg, your daily host of The Catholic Current. Join me on Thursday at 5 p.m. Eastern to reconnect with Raymond Ibrahim. We last talked about Western defenders of Christendom. Now we'll be talking about Eastern defenders. You'll meet larger-than-life heroes you've never heard of, but will want to remember. Join us on Thursday at 5 p.m. Eastern on The Catholic Current, coming to you from the Station of the Cross and the iCatholic Radio mobile app. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. Um, we are going to take your calls, your texts, your emails uh, right after the next break, and we'll have an entire hour, half hour to ourselves. So don't hesitate um, to call in uh, at one eight seven seven five one one five four eight three. You may text at that number or email it mother at thestationofthecross.com. We are going to continue reading. Uh, from the Catechism Explained, and we're on section 5 now that begins the Christian faith. And it says the Christian faith is the firm conviction arrived at with the grace of God that all that Jesus Christ taught on earth is true as well as all that the Catholic Church teaches by the commission she has received from him, from Christ. Uh, Beloved, Jesus said, no one comes to me except the Father draw him. Faith is a gift. And if you're Catholic and you don't believe the truths of the Catholic Church, if you question one truth, you can can seek to understand. That's just fine. You can say, I'm Catholic. I don't understand purgatory. I don't understand this or that. That's, we're human. We don't understand a lot of things. So we seek understanding. There's no problem. But if we say, well, I don't agree with that. If it's one thing you don't agree with, 
that the Catholic Church teaches infallibly that's part of the deposit of faith, you are not Catholic. Well, yes, I am. There's just one thing. That's enough. One thing, you're not Catholic. It means that you are the judge of what is right and wrong, and you're not. Um, The issue is whether the Catholic Church is true or not. Whether Christ, who said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, I will lead it into all truth till the end of time. Well, that was a, um, I think, the enemy. If I were Satan, I'd say, well, there we go. He's going to lead into all truth at the end of time. Come on, devils. We have our mission now to spread confusion in the church. Come on. He, he, he made a promise. We have to destroy that. We have to show people that it's not true. Look at all the confusion in the church. How could he lead it into all truth till the end of time? But he's doing that, and he will. There's not a single truth that's been proclaimed by the Catholic Church as infallible, as binding on the faithful, not a single matter of faith and morals that has ever changed or that can be changed. It cannot. No matter what a pope says, no matter what bishops say, no matter what a priest says, no matter what anyone says, it cannot be changed ever. Uh, The Pope, the Holy Father, uh, is the guardian of the faith. It is not his to do anything with or to change or to modify, zero. Or bishops, they have no power to do that. They are guardians of the faith to keep it whole and to teach it. And if there are those who spread confusion, who cease to believe, we have to know our faith enough and to identify what is false and to just turn from it and live the truth. Live the Catholic faith as if it is true because it is. You say, well, I don't know my faith that well. I've not been taught. Okay, that's a good thing that you recognize that. Go to the catechism. Get the catechism of trend. Get the catechism explained. That'd be the best. And read it. And know your faith. So you are not, as James says, tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. And you're not dependent on, on bishops or priests or anyone else to teach you. Because if you're a parent, you are responsible, not the church and not the schools. You are responsible when you stand before God and right now today for um, passing the faith on to your children. And you will not pass it on simply by word of mouth. They will believe what they see, not just what they hear. If what they see is contrary to what they hear, then you have disgraced God and the faith, and they will not believe it. The Christian faith, I repeat here, is the firm conviction arrived at with the grace of God that all that Jesus Christ taught on earth is true, as well as all that the Catholic Church teaches by the commission she has received from him, from Christ. At the Last Supper, our Lord said, This is my body, this is my blood. Although the apostles had the evidence of their senses that what lay before them was only bread and wine, yet they believed that the words of Christ were true. The holiness of the life of Christ, the numerous miracles that he worked, the predictions of his that were fulfilled had convinced the apostles that he was the Son of God, and that therefore every word that he spoke was true. God promised Abraham many descendants and then commanded him to slay his only son. Abraham obeyed 
because he knew that God's word must come true. This was a splendid example of faith. St. Paul calls faith the evidence of things that do not appear. Christian faith is at the same time a matter of the understanding and the will. Before a man believes, he inquires whether what he is asked to believe was really revealed by God. This inquiry is a duty, for God exacts of us a reasonable service and warns us that he who is hasty to believe is light in heart. But when once a man has arrived at the conviction that the truth which is in question was really revealed by God, then the will must at once submit to what God has laid down, even though the reason cannot fully grasp its meaning. If the will does not submit, faith is impossible. No man can believe unless he wills to believe. I'm reminded now of our Lord's statement to the Jewish believers. I came that you might have life and have it to the full, but you will not come to me that you might have life. You will not. It is your will. Faith is concerned with many things which we cannot perceive with our senses and cannot grasp with our understanding. We're finite beings, beloved, and we are given a faith that's given to us by Almighty God, the creator of us and all that is. How could we, mere mortals, understand the mind of God? We cannot. And the scriptures say that. Only a man can understand the, man, the mind of man, and only the Holy Spirit, who is God, can understand the mind of God. Faith is a conviction respecting that which we see not. We believe in God, though we do not see him. We believe in angels, though we have never seen them. We believe in the resurrection of our bodies, though we do not understand how it could be. And so, too, we believe in the mysteries of the Blessed Trinity, of the Incarnation, of the Blessed Sacrament of the Altar. This is why faith is so pleasing to God. Blessed are they, says our Lord to St. Thomas, who have not seen but have believed. And people say, yeah, but purgatory is not in Scripture. Well, neither is the word incarnation, neither is the word trinity, yet we believe them because Scripture um, uh, contains those doctrines and understandings. Faith never requires us to believe anything that is contrary to human reason. The mysteries of faith are above and beyond our reason, but are never opposed to reason. For God has given us our reason, and it is the same God who has given us the teaching of Christ and of the church. He who rejects any doctrine of the church ultimately finds himself involved in a contradiction. Hence, um, uh, a gentleman named Bacon truly says, quote, a little philosophy takes a man away from religion, but a sound knowledge of philosophy brings him back to religion, end quote. <clears throat> Thirdly, we act quite in accordance with reason when we believe because we trust ourselves to God's truthfulness and because we know for certain that the truths of faith are revealed to us by God. I remember 
um, on my long journey to the church, I said to a priest, I need to know. I need to know. I need to understand. I can't just believe. He said, first believe and then you'll know. I said, boy, that's backwards to me. I can't just believe. I have to know. He said, no, believe and then you'll know. And that's what we're saying. We act in accordance with reason when we believe because we trust ourselves to God's truthfulness and because we know for certain that the truths of faith are revealed to us by God. So now I know because I believe. It's supernatural. Faith is a gift from God. A short-sighted man believes a man with longer sight when he tells him that a balloon is floating in the heavens. A blind man believes one with sound sight when he tells him that the map before him is a map of Europe. We believe in the existence of the cities of Constantinople, Pekin, and Buenos Aires, though we may never have seen them. In so doing, we act reasonably. But how far more reasonably do we act when we believe God? Man may be mistaken or may be deceiving us, whereas God cannot err and cannot deceive us. It is the truthfulness of God on which we rely. When we make an act of faith, we must, however, previously be certain that the doctrine or fact which we are asked to believe is one that has really been revealed by God. God bears witness to himself as the author of the truths of faith by many actions that he alone can perform, such as miracles and prophecies. The man of goodwill can always find a sufficient reason for believing, a man of bad will, an excuse for not believing. Beloved, we're coming up against our half-hour break. I invite you, we'll, we'll stop right there in our reading for today, and I invite you to call in with anything whatsoever on your heart. It doesn't need to be our subject today. Um, uh, call in with anything on your heart, toll-free, 1-877-511-5483, or email at mother at the station of the cross.com whatever your question is and you know uh, there are many things you believe but perhaps your family doesn't perhaps your spouse doesn't perhaps your friend doesn't how do we go further in the truths of our faith how do we live it how do we live as catholics how can we be in the world truly in the world and not of it how does that happen and how can you help your family to and your friends and your workplace to have that happen how can we do that priests bishops we are sheep who desperately need you to return to your vocation and be true shepherds of the flock and not be silent and not be afraid, but to lead the way, to teach the faith, and lead us to heaven. We'll be right back after the break, beloved. Don't go away.
single event. It was more gradual. You know, eventually you just don't go one Sunday and then you don't go two Sundays in a row. Then went through a divorce and um, ended up being a single parent. If I didn't have church or God, I, I, I would be back at that lonely stage, that trouble stage. Whenever you get anxious and worry about things, you just know that Jesus has it under control. If you've been away from the Catholic Church for any reason, visit catholicscomehome.org. This is Franciscan Media's Saint of the Day for November 17th. Today we celebrate Saint Elizabeth of Hungary. A queen may be an unlikely person to be known for her love for the poor and suffering, but that's who Elizabeth of Hungary was and why the common people treasured her in 13th century Hungary. The daughter of Hungary's king, Elizabeth was married to Louis Thuringia at age 14. It was a happy union that produced three children. Under the spiritual direction of a Franciscan, she led a life of prayer, sacrifice, and service to the poor and sick. She wore simple clothing and each day fed the hundreds of poor people who came to the royal gates. After six years of marriage, Elizabeth lost her husband in the Crusades. Although grief-stricken, Louis's family expelled her from the palace, claiming that she'd squandered Louis's fortune. Eventually restored to her rightful position, she became a secular Franciscan and spent the remaining few years of her short life caring for the poor in a hospital that she founded and dedicated to St. Francis. Elizabeth died in 1231 before her 24th birthday and was canonized four years later. She is the patron of Catholic charities and of the secular Franciscan order. There's more about the saints along with inspiration and Catholic resources at our website, saintoftheday.org. From Franciscan Media, this has been Saint of the Day. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. We are live and um, uh, here for the next half hour. Our lines are wide open, our phone lines, and you're welcome to call in with whatever is on your heart. Uh, toll free, one 511 5483 or email at mother at com. We have an email from Chris who writes, Hi there, Mother. I just want to firstly say thank you so much for your show. I truly feel like you're a spiritual mother who is always good and gracious. Thank you. Well, thank you, Chris. My question is this. The other day I went to confession at a specific church where I did not know the priest, and he did not know me either. I saw that another priest was entering the confessional who I knew, and so knowing the priest... I withheld some of my sins in the confessional because of embarrassment. I felt so bad, but after my, and he puts in parentheses, invalid confession, I saw another priest go in who I did not know. So I did a 360 and went into the confessional again with this completely different priest who I, of course, poured out all my mortal and some venial sins to and held nothing back and got absolution. 
was my confession valid or was it invalid because in a matter of seconds I turned right around when there was a different priest to confess to. It's just been weighing on my heart. Your confession was valid, Chris. Don't worry about it. Um, That's why we have a confessional with a screen between us and the priest. The, 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 the priest does not need to know who we are. And if you think the priest is going to know you and recognize your voice and you don't want that, it's not a sin. Don't worry about it. You can always go to a priest who, um, who won't recognize you. Don't worry about that. Don't let it hinder your confession. Um, if you withhold sins in the confessional, it is not a proper confession, but you poured out your heart to the the other priest all over again, that is 100% valid. Don't worry about that. Chris says, thanks, Mother. I know this is a gracious sin, but I do feel better knowing that I did at least turn right back around, Um, uh, I think he meant grievous, uh, and go to confession again, Chris. Chris, you're just fine, and you did the right thing. Uh, you didn't want to confess fully because of embarrassment. Of course, there's pride in the way and all kinds of things. We're all subject to that. But the fact that you went with another priest and confessed fully is absolutely valid, Chris. Don't let it burden you at all. <clears throat> we have an email from Jan who writes, Dear Mother, excuse me for my bad English because I live in the Flemish part of Belgium. Welcome, Jan, all the way from Belgium. I'd like to ask you a few questions, if I may. The first is about abortion. The Catholic teaching is not so clear for me on the following point. When the mother needs medical treatment, such as she may have cancer, she can have it, but without killing the baby directly. That's correct. Of course, I will follow the Catholic teaching 100%, but in practice, what is the difference between direct and indirect? My goodness, uh, without reading the rest of your uh, email, um, if you uh, um, are hunting and you um, shoot a deer, which is legal, and you didn't realize that there was a person near the deer and the and, and the bullet killed the person, uh, that's the difference between direct and indirect. You had no direct intention of killing the person, even if you did. So it, it's one thing to treat a mother. To go in and kill the baby is a direct murder. To treat the mother, and if the baby is the victim of, of that treatment, uh, that is not a direct killing. If the mother knows that in order to treat her cancer, the baby will be killed in that process, then she could determine, like St. Gemma, um, whether or not to have the treatment. Okay, Um, let me just see this a second. Um, Jan says, of course I will... Okay, wait a minute. She says, I always thought that the mother had to give her life for the baby when the baby can live after birth. When a mother knows that the baby can stay alive, isn't it normal that the mother gives her life? I just want to know the Catholic teaching. I'm glad that I don't have such problems in my family. Well, um, again, uh, it's the mother's choice here. If there's a direct killing of the baby, um, to go in and directly abort the baby, um, that should not be the case. 
But again, in the case of trying to save the mother and the baby, the baby dies. It's indirect, and the treatment can be given to the mother. But again, if the doctor says, in order to treat you, we'll have to kill the baby, then the mother um, can make the decision that, no, I don't want you to kill this baby, and she will risk her life. Second, uh, Jan says, the position of the SSPX of Monsignor Lefebvre, I'm 51 years old, married, have two children, and I'm 43 uh, years since... um, Let's see, I'm 43 years, uh, so she was born in 1979. Oh, no, this is, um, hold on a second. This is Jan, J-A-N, who says, the position of the SSPX of Monsignor Lefebvre, I'm 51 years old, married, have two children, and I'm a 43-year-old altar server for the SSPX in Antwerp, Belgium. That means Jan is a man here. Okay. I was also an altar server of Monsignor Lefebvre a few times. I received confirmation from him the day before my ninth birthday. So I know the SSPX is rather good. I agree that the place of the SSPX in the church is a difficult situation. Some theories say that the SSPX is licit, but other opinions also exist. The priests of the SSPX pray for the Pope and their local bishop. No doubts about the sacraments, etc. The only thing they really want is to obey God. They also want to obey the Pope where possible. The Novus Ordo and the teaching of some bishops in Belgium is very bad. Not always, but I really think it's better for me to go to the SSPX. There is no confusion, clear teaching, many young families, etc. I also know the fraternity of St. Peter and was also an earl to server for this fraternity. Is it really better for a layman to attend their masses instead of the SSPX? I will never say that it's better to stay at home than to go to the Novus Ordo Mass, but I prefer the Latin Mass. Jan, I would say, or Jan, I'm not sure how you pronounce your name, if there's a fraternity, SSP, a fraternity of St. Peter, then go to that instead of the SSPX because according to Cardinal Burke, Father Gerald Murray, and not everyone but others, canonical lawyers for the church, um, they still hold the position that the SSPX is in schism. Uh, it's a great um, heartbreak, um, especially since you were um, with Archbishop Lefebvre and you were a server to him and all of that. It, it's a great heartbreak. But I would say if you can go to the FSSP, the Fraternity of St. Peter, instead of the SSPX, do that. Um, it's a very difficult position to be in, but... Depending upon the situation of the Novus Ordo, if it's truly irreverent, if they're teaching error, and it's truly an awful place for you to raise your children, um, I can't tell you to go to the SSPX, but if there were no other uh, mass around, I might do that myself. Um, 
it's very, very difficult. Very, very. It's amazing that um, this is, I'm not speaking for the church, but that for a society who um, has, for the most part, they have their own problems as well, but has such reverence and uh, has all the old sacraments um, to be uh, not allowed, uh, not in union, and yet the Novus Ordo, which is supposedly in union and can commit such utter heresy and utter irreverence, dancing and clown masses and all of that, and that is not considered in schism. It's a very, very confusing day. It's a very confusing day. But I trust Cardinal Burke and Father Gerald Murray, those two of my heroes on canon law, and um, uh, Bishop Athanasius Snyder was asked by the Vatican to examine the SSPX. He went all over the world attending their masses and speaking with them, and he personally doesn't see a problem. They do have the pictures of the Holy Father up. They do pray for the Pope, all of that. So I, I'm not the one to straighten this out or even to hold an opinion on it because I, I have no opinion apart from the church. Um, but I will tell you that if I had a choice between the SSPX and the Novus, a Reverend Novus Ordo, I would go to the Novus Ordo um, or even an okay Novus Ordo. But if it was really bad, I would choose the SSPX because we are allowed to go to SSPX if there's no other mass um, uh, reachable. And if the Novus Ordo is so terrible, I would consider there's no other mass reachable. Um, But again, if the fraternity of St. Peter is there, definitely go to that one. And Jan says, lastly, I thank you very much for your channel. We need clear, loud voices to bring God to the people. Why are the bishops and many priests so silent? It's evil, Jan. It's evil that they're silent. Uh, It allows evil to persist, persist because when a bishop is silent, it shows he agrees. When somebody is silent, it's tantamount to agreeing. And it's either they're fearful, which is shameful for a shepherd who is to protect the flock from the wolves. It's either utterly shameful that he would be afraid or um, uh, worse than that, because by his silence, he shows that he agrees. And at the very least, it's not wrong. He, He doesn't find it important to lead the sheep and to protect them from the wolves. It's a great great travesty in our day and a total embarrassment for the Catholic Church that our bishops are so silent and have um, protected themselves rather than their flock. So Jan, we're all suffering in this day and we beg the bishops to live their vocation, um, to stand up to the wolves and to lead the sheep. We desperately need to be led. We are leading ourselves. For the most part, we are sheep without a shepherd. Once in a while, our shepherds come out with a good statement. Once in a while, they take on a cause. That does not replace being a shepherd of the sheep, to show up once in a while, to make a statement once every so many years, or once a year. Mix, no. 
you need to lead the sheep. And if you know that there are errant priests in your diocese and you lead, leave them there, or there's an abusive priest who you've replaced someplace else to destroy more sheep, um, you are a wolf. You're not a shepherd. You are a wolf uh, in sheep's clothing or in shepherd's clothing. Um, we beg you, we beg you to be the bishops, the shepherds that God has called you to be. It's why you wear red. It's why you wear red. You are to give your life for the sheep as the chief shepherd did for you. We'll be right back, beloved. It'll be our last segment. You're welcome to call in with anything on your heart. Toll free, one 511 5483 or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. We'll be right back. The Station of the Cross is listener-funded, and we value your ongoing generosity. In this fast-paced world, it's easy to let your recurring donation slip due to something like a new address or a card number change. If you suspect that we might not have your up-to-date donor information, you can check with us during regular business hours at 1-877-888-6279, extension 104, or anytime online at thestationofthecross.com. Jesus now came to heal our wounded and troubled hearts. We beg thee to heal the torments that cause anxiety in our hearts. We beg thee in a particular way to heal all who are the cause of sin. We beg thee to come into our lives and heal us of the psychological harms that struck us in our early years and from the injuries that they have caused throughout our lives. Lord Jesus, thou know our burdens. We lay them all at thy good shepherd's heart. We beseech thee by the merits of the great open wound in thy heart to heal the small wounds that are in ours. Heal the pain of our memories so that nothing that has happened to us will cause us to remain in pain and anguish, filled with anxiety. Heal, O Lord, all those wounds that have been the cause of all the evil that is rooted in our lives. We want to forgive all those who have offended us. Look to those inner sores that make us unable to forgive. Thou who came to forgive the afflicted of heart, please heal our own hearts. Heal, our Lord Jesus, those intimate wounds that cause us physical illness. We offer thee our hearts. Accept it, Lord. Purify them and give us the sentiments of thy divine heart. Help us to be meek and humble. Heal us, O Lord, from the pain caused by the death of our loved ones, which is oppressing us. Grant us to regain peace and joy in the knowledge that thou art the resurrection and the life. Make us an authentic witness to thy resurrection, thy victory over sin and death, thy living presence among us. Amen. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. This is our last segment. We've got a 
good 10 minutes. Time for you to call in with anything on your heart if you wish. Toll free 1-877-511-5483 or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. And we have Diane from Pennsylvania on the line. Hi, Diane. Hello, Mother. Mother, can you hear me? I can hear you just fine. Go ahead with your question. Okay. Um, so I have, I call her my other daughter. She's not my daughter, but she's been family for more than a decade. She's my son's best friend since grade school. And she came to me almost a year ago wanting to become Catholic. Wow. Which blew me away. Yes, I because she was raised utterly liberal, painfully liberal. Um, it breaks my heart. I mean, I love her. I love her family. Her mom. Tell me your like, question, Diane. Awesome. Tell, tell me your question, honey, so we can get to other callers as well. How do I, how do I help her? I'm, I'm, she started our CIA and then she fell away after the Dobbs decision. After the and what? She barely speaks. After the what? The Dobbs decision. The Dobbs decision. Uh huh. She didn't agree. The overturning. She and, did not um, agree with it? Oh, heavens no. And are you her sponsor, her RCIA sponsor? Yes, I am. Mm hmm. How do I pull her back to RCIA again? Well,. I'm not sure RCIA is, is uh, was it a good RCIA? Who's teaching it? Yes. Yes. It's good? It's, it's, I mean, it's through our parish. It's what? It's through our parish. Who's teaching? Uh, the, our, the director for um, uh, religious education. Man or woman? He's man. Mm-hmm. And he's totally orthodox in his beliefs? Utterly, utterly. Okay, good. Why don't you sit down with her, get two copies of Humanae Vitae, and read it through it together, very slowly and carefully, and uh, help her to understand these things. Okay. Okay. Humanae okay, Vitae, and- got it. And don't hesitate to let her talk. Don't correct her right away. The more you can understand, because she's been brainwashed by this evil society, the more you can understand why she's afraid, because she is, and why she thinks the way she does. Don't just try to give her truth. Try to help her. Try to come alongside her truly to say, now tell me why. Uh, this because no one should have a right over somebody else's body, right? You know, whatever she says, don't counter her. Say, tell me why you think that. I mean, if a man wanted to come and and do away, kill you, uh, is that is that okay? No, it's murder. Well, why shouldn't he do? Why shouldn't he have the right to do what he wants? Yeah, but it's my body, but it's not. Your life. It's the baby's life. I mean, I, I, that there's not going to get get it for her. But hear her heart. Hear what she says. Hear her fears. Hear her m- wrong ideas, her misconceptions. Um, it, 
it's going to take the grace of God to open her heart to truth. And that's going to happen through your love and your patience with her and your willingness to respect her ideas. Respecting her ideas doesn't mean you agree with them, but she needs to be respected. She knows so she knows that she's heard so you can be Christ to her. Right. Right. Okay. Okay. Okay, Thank Diane. So much, be Mother. very patient. And it's I not going to happen overnight. Be, what's that? I said, thank you so much, and I pray for you guys all the time. I appreciate that very much, Diane. God bless you. Denise from Toronto. Hello, dear friend. Oh, hello, Mother Miriam. How are you? I'm great, thanks. That's Go great. ahead. I'll, I'll be very quick because I know it's we're okay. at the end. But, um, yeah, just, you know, talking, I've, I've just been thinking so much about, you know, the unborn lately. And, uh, I mean, I, I always do. I've very many years. But but I just, I just had this idea that, you know, we really need to... I find that with the word unborn and um, preborn, they don't really describe that beautiful life that's in the womb, oh, and good for you. also the relationship with the mother. And good I just you. kind of thought, I thought yesterday, what about instead of saying those terms, to say, call them what they are—the baby and the mommy. There you go. They're the baby and the you. mommy, and we. I'm going to from from now on to say that I just wanted to share that because that says a lot more about what they are. The baby in the womb. Or outside no, the, the womb. baby and the mommy. Yeah, no, I understand. The baby in the mommy or baby and the mommy? Well, the baby's inside the mommy, right? That's right. That's and right. So when the baby's born, he's out, he or she is outside the mommy. That's exactly so, right. You know, and I just At every stage, it's a baby. It. I, yeah. I think it's terrific. It's terrific. Any more than I wish NFP, I, I don't think it's of God. Uh, God did not name natural family planning because in God's world, we don't plan our families. We don't plan them. It's a bad term. Uh, If a couple get married and they practice contraception on their marriage night, their marriage is not consummated. It's a terrible, terrible expression. And the fact that it's taught in marriage planning um, that we have control or want to have control over what is God's doing, not ours, is um, it's, it's the, the, the devil gets in everywhere he can. Denise, I think you're right. Uh, preborn, unborn, um, just it's the baby. Why are you killing babies? Why are you killing babies? Because they're not born yet? Well, why are you killing them? Well, it's not, it'll get rid of the idea that it's not a baby yet. Good. Mm-hmm. And I just have one quick thing to say. St. Joseph, he protected the unborn baby Jesus and the newborn baby Jesus and Jesus throughout his life. And I can't think of a more powerful saint, other than Mother Mary, of course, to stand before every pregnant woman and not mm-hmm. let anyone touch that child. And That's I just right. pray for his intercession. Yeah. And I just That's wanted right. to spread that, too. Oh, I think it's great. Absolutely. Abs- I wish St. Michael would pick it outside of abortion clinics. I know. It's, it's just, um, it's a tremendous, tremendous evil, Denise. And I, I, I appreciate uh, your contribution this morning. It's very, very good. Okay. Um, we're going to try to get through another email. I don't know that we'll do it, but uh, we have an email from Isadora who says, Hi, my name is Isadora. And I'm from Poland, but live in Sweden. Which day is the true Sabbath? Should we Catholics do as Jesus did on Saturday, or should we observe Sunday 
as Sabbath. Um, you should observe Sunday. This is a long email, so we'll take this tomorrow as our first email is a door. But if you read First Corinthians, Paul's letter to the Corinthians, chapter 16, it says, concerning the contribution for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you are to do. On the first day of every week, that's Sunday, the Sabbath is the seventh day. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that contributions need not be made when I come. Now, um, because they met on the first day of the week on Sunday. Why did they do that? Is Sunday Sabbath? It is not. The Sabbath is Saturday. But the fact is that the Lord of the Sabbath, and all the Jewish first Christians were Jews, the Lord of the Sabbath rose from the dead on Sunday. And so it is Sunday. So they didn't become the Sabbath. Sunday became the day of rest because the Lord of the Sabbath rose on Sunday. And the book of Hebrews says that he who is in Christ has entered into his Sabbath rest. Christ is our Sabbath rest. Um, God bless you, everyone. And we'll speak with you, God willing, tomorrow. God bless you.